0: Hello, and welcome to the second season of All I Know. My name is Jen Winkleman, and I'm your host for this time where we gather together as if we're around a little campfire, and we're there to listen as everyday people tell us some of their stories. Here at this show, we believe that behind every single face, there are stories, And in every story, there are lessons for life that are waiting to be learned by the rest of us. So today, our guest and I will have a largely unscripted conversation aside from the anchor questions that we use to get into our interviews. And then as our guest story unfolds, if you and I choose to do so, we can catch the truth and knowledge and wisdom that's being shared with us like little fireflies in a jar, and then use that as light for our own paths in life. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. It's Jess and Jen. We're sitting together today because we are recording the very first episode of our second season, which is just unbelievable that we're already embarking on season two of this project, but we're really excited to bring season two to you. And it's ironic because we launched this podcast in 2020, right at the height of the pandemic, and we are recording the first episode of season two on the last day of 2020. So I hope by the time this episode actually airs, because it'll come to you in the next four to six months, Hopefully we all feel really,
1: really differently about the world by the time this is heard publicly, right? I hope that we're not wearing masks by the time this is published. Me too. I wonder if that's, like, a legitimate thing to be wishing for. Probably not. Probably not. Actually, I don't mind wearing masks, but I'd like to be at a point... I'd like to feel comfortable getting on an airplane by the time this is published. I'd like to go somewhere. Well,
0: it's going to be really interesting to see where we are when this airs, because today we're kissing 2020 goodbye and telling it not to let the door hit it on the ass.
1: (laughs) Right. I love that expression. I know it is pretty funny. Don't let the door hit you or the good Lord split (laughs) you. Oh,
0: that's even better. (laughs) So, uh, today's episode actually is going to be a pickup from our final interview in season one, which was uh, part of my story, and uh, try to expand a little bit on what we started discussing during my last interview. Let's get into it. I am so excited. Oh, gosh. Well, actually, we should say, this is actually the second take. Yeah. This is, it's the second take. Yeah, this is the second take. We had a technical issue um, last time we tried to record this interview. And so, (laughs) it's a sign
1: that I'm supposed to keep my trap shut. Okay, so, Miss Jen, tell us, who are you? Uh, Coming out of the holiday season... I feel
0: like a lot of who I am, I've been thinking about in terms of the roles that I play. Being a daughter, being a sister, being an aunt, being a godparent. Um, and then like some of my professional roles, too. You know, being a therapist, being with other educators, working in schools as a school counselor. So I feel like a lot of who I am right now, especially at this time of year, like we mentioned in the opener that this is December 31st of 2020, and I always get really reflective at the end of the year. I think a lot of people do, but whenever we're rolling from one year to the next, I'm always thinking about what's behind me and thinking about what's to come. My birthday is really close to the new year, so it tends to be a very contemplative time for me. And so I have been thinking a lot about the parts that I play. And that's definitely a big part of Hmm. who I am. I think also, um, you know, I'm a very sensitive soul. I'm a deep feeler. Um, and that lends to, you know, a lot of, uh, thinking and kind of running around in my own head on any particular topic that I'm. That I'm trying to like work through um, and trying to see the forest for the trees sometimes can be a little bit tricky for me because it's hard for me to take the emotion out of something and just think about the data or just think about the facts, which is probably part of what gives me some gifts as a clinician mm-hmm. and as a therapist. For sure. But as a human, it's a little it's a little tiring. I can't, I can't really separate that, that part of myself. Like I, I almost always have feelings about something and whatever the feelings are, are usually maybe like a little bit
1: magnified maybe, um, because of my sensitivity. Do I don't know if you remember me saying this to you years and years ago that your emotional baseline just runs in third gear. Not that it's a negative thing or not in a totally bad way. I don't remember that. You don't remember it? No. As, okay. But it's, really? this feels new. But yeah, go okay. ahead. That, like, if most people are in first or second, you feel emotions, the way that you move through the world is very much driven by emotion, as opposed to someone, like somebody who might be driven by logic or somebody who's driven by avoidance. Yeah, experience. I think
0: it, and I think it's part of being an empath too, which yes. I'm still learning about. That's a, a concept that was sort of illuminated for me in my own life, you know, several years ago. So it's still something I'm learning about, but yeah, I just have, it's almost like I have more nerve endings when it comes yeah. to emotional things
1: or feeling related things. Absolutely. Absolutely. As opposed to some people that maybe have like burnt off some of their nerve endings. (laughs) Sounds so awesome. (laughs) What do our guests need to know about you to make the most of today's conversation with you? So
0: I remember answering this question um, during our first take, and it was actually really kind of emotional for me. And I think the answer is important. So I'm going to repeat that. I think the thing that I want people to know about me today is that the person who's talking is not, you know, Jen the clinician, Jen the professional. I think if I was in my professional role, I probably wouldn't tell the story that I'm getting ready to tell because I have a lot of trepidation about how other people are going to hear it and what they're going to think about me as a result of hearing it. So I think the big thing I want people to know is just that this is just just me, just a a woman who's kind of trying to find her way in the world. I don't know. I think sometimes because of the work that I do, people have the assumption that that a person who works in a political setting has to be like more together or know more things or like have it all figured out and. I think today's story, you know, indicates that I don't have it all together and I don't have it all figured out. So basically, you know, even when you're a person who plays the part that I play in our community where I'm trying to be a helper and a guide and a support to other people. If you're in that role, it doesn't mean that you have everything figured out and that you've got life by the tail. And so the person who's telling the story today is just a human Do you expect yourself to be perfect because you're a therapist? Not generally. I think I'm pretty comfortable with my imperfections, particularly when it comes to my clinical life. I mean, I've been working with kids and families and specializing in trauma since I finished graduate school. And I had to confront pretty early that for a parent who wants to talk to you about their kid, that... I was a young professional, unmarried, not a parent, and I'm supposed to hold space for somebody who needs support in those areas. I had to confront pretty early that there's no way for me to be perfect, and that doesn't mean that I don't have something to bring to the table. Usually I don't put pressure on myself or feel pressured to be perfect because I'm a therapist. I feel like therapy is way less about perfection than it is about process and progress and just bearing witness
1: to someone's experience and holding a space for them. I feel like what you, what I heard you say though, to me, when I'm sitting here listening to you say that your story is about a woman who doesn't have everything pulled together. To me, it sounds like perfectionism
0: yeah absolutely I think when it comes to this story that's where I kind of have a rub and I start to worry about how people are going to process it what they're going to think about it then in turn what they're going to think about me and even though I don't have the expectation of myself to be perfect or like above humanity above my humanity I, I could imagine that there are some people who would expect that I should does okay, that so, make, does that make sense
1: yeah after after we have gone through this I would I want to know if you're concerned about sharing this story because you're worried about not coming across as perfect and folks judging you because of that or if it's about vulnerability or
0: I don't know if I can tease that out I would say. No. I would say both. But I think part of what's so powerful about this project, separate and apart from me, but just in general, is that people are offering the more private corners of their lives for other people to hear and look at and relate to. And I think part of human nature is to judge. And so... When I'm offering myself in that way, it's hard not to think about how will this be judged? What will those judgy thoughts be? Yeah. Others? yeah. Yeah. You know, you have no control over that, but you're kind of, I can't help but think about it and be trying to figure out how can I mitigate <laughs> for for harsh judgment.
1: Yeah. I don't know that you can mitigate without minimizing, though. I don't want you to minimize the story. Yeah. I don't, I
0: I don't know how to, I don't think I can mitigate for it either, but I think it's a natural part of, of just engaging in the process of, of sharing. So whatever, whatever parts I play, whatever roles I have, I think I just want people to know, like all of that aside you know, today I'm just talking as a person. I'm not talking as a master's level clinician who specializes in children and families with developmental trauma.
1: Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Like you have different expectations of people based on, based on the part that they play. And perhaps the expectations of me with that title or those credentials is different than the expectations of me as a human. And today you're going to hear from the human. Oh my
1: gosh. I'm excited to hear it. Would you describe your life as being ordinary or extraordinary? I
0: am still in the same place with this question as I was when we did the interview for last season. And I think that's part of what we like so much about our anchor questions is that the same person can answer them and over periods of time, Sometimes those things stay the same and sometimes they shift. This is one that stays the same for me. I think my life feels very ordinary and looks very ordinary from the outside. But I think that the truth is that it's extraordinary. And a lot of the reasons why go to some of the privileges that we have in our country, in our culture, with my upbringing You know, if we hold my life up against the world population or my same age counterparts across the world, I think I have had access to some pretty extraordinary things that not everybody else does.
1: Tell us more about what makes it extraordinary then.
0: Well, I think I mentioned in the last interview the access to education, I think, is extraordinary. I mean, just the fact that I've been able to pursue higher education and to go beyond my public education that's a big deal when you look at the global population also travel I I feel really really lucky that both of my parents have a bit of an adventurous spirit in them and they, they both approach travel very differently but because they both love travel I think that kind of was planted in me early. I watched them take trips and go on an adventure. And now that's something that I really love. Like that's one of my favorite things, especially as a, as a single person, you know, I'm often trying to kind of mine out what are the things that make my life valuable and endearing to me when I don't have, the things that I dreamt of or hoped for or prayed for in the life that I wanted to build. And like travel is one of those, one of those crown jewels that makes me be like, yeah, life is good because I'm able to do that.
1: I think travel is such a big part of your life too. Like It's kind of who you are. I wish it was, (laughs) I wish it was more of 2020 notwithstanding. Yeah, 2020 notwithstanding.
0: Yeah. I, I wish it was more of who I am. I mean, obviously one's resources influence their ability, but I definitely try to allocate some of my resources to that because going out and exploring a world is really a very magical thing, and I don't think everybody gets to do that. A lot of people, again, like kind of comparing me with my same-age counterparts globally. Not everybody can climb on a plane and use their passport to go visit some other place that's totally different than where they live or were born and raised.
1: That's extraordinary. It is, truly. This might be a good time to say, too, if you are a new listener and haven't listened to Jen's first episode, go back to the last episode of season one. Well, isn't it? It gets you a little, recap. I think it's the last
0: interview. It's episode 20 because we mm-hmm. had episode 21 was us wrapping up
1: the season. Anything else you want to add there?
0: About um, your life, about you what did? makes life extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I think you and I kind of, uh, went head to head about this a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the last conversation I don't know why it struck such a chord with you, but I still feel it's true that part of what makes life extraordinary is some of the things that I have been spared. And um, I think actually that will tie in to today's story as well, talking about being spared. I feel like over the years, and maybe it's the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years especially, as part of popular culture, I feel like there's been so much discussion about gratitude and the attitude of gratitude and being thankful. And I mean, I'm ashamed to admit that sometimes that's hard for me because my brain really easily goes to what I don't have, what hasn't happened for me. And so I wonder if part of this like lens or this filter that I use about life now where I'm looking at what's been spared is I'm trying to help my mind see and appreciate and sink into the things that I have to be grateful for that I don't easily recognize. It's like part of how I coach myself to recognizing this blessing. So it would be very easy for me in in the way that my brain kind of naturally works to feel you know really sorry for myself that I live in a starter home you know that I'm in my mid 40s and I live in a starter home and I I, love your house I should have achieved more by now right
1: Hmm.
0: but using this other filter around gratitude and like things that I've been spared if I try and look at myself not just keeping up with the Joneses in American culture and society but if I look across the world my starter home is a palace. And I'm so lucky that I haven't had to figure out how to live in and love, you know, no home
1: with no with no roof over my head, with no... Sh- I don't... Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very American capitalist, materialistic culture. Yeah, we're raised and living in that you should be wanting to always, you know, have a bigger, better, more beautifully decorated home. Totally. Yeah.
0: And I am a product of that and, and wrestle it. So I think that might be part of where what I've been spared, how that is a blessing, not what necessarily has happened, but what I haven't
1: had to endure that so many other people have. I'm wondering if, too, that isn't an occupational hazard as a therapist. Could be. Because you were explaining that just now. I had this light bulb moment of, well, I guess it's not that odd to say it could have been worse when your chosen profession, if that isn't an occupational hazard when you're surrounded by these stories because you specialize in trauma, when you're you know, immersed in these, all of these stories of trauma and grief and loss and betrayal and abuse and all those other things, if that, it suddenly makes more sense to me why that's how you perceive your life, that in some ways you've been spared a lot. Yeah. Because you're so up close and personal and intimately aware for hundreds and hundreds of people, how bad it has been. Yeah, them. I mean, I,
0: I, yeah, I think you very well may be onto something there because I, I do have a unique window. And so, of course, that would shape the way that I see things and the way that I process my
1: own existence. I would imagine it kind of feels like a fire hose. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. Um, Okay, so next anchor question is, how do you define success? This has been really
0: uh, nebulous for me over the last several years. And the first time we sat down to do an interview, I remember telling you that everything was just kind of up for renegotiation. I was trying to figure out what that meant. One thing I've landed on since that time is that I think one of the markers of a successful life is being able to be okay on your own, being able to be with yourself and not hate it. I think a lot of people fill their lives with so much busyness and noise and distraction. And, you know, sometimes that's like habits or hobbies they get into. And sometimes it's relationships. And I mean, there's just a whole gamut of things, but it's all kind of to avoid being with yourself because you don't feel okay when you're just with yourself. And so for me, I think one of the markers of a successful life is being able to be with yourself for me to be able to be with myself and feel like a friend to myself. And that It doesn't cause me distress to be alone with my thoughts and feelings. Have you always felt that way? Like, have you always been comfortable? No, I don't think so. I feel like I'm lucky in a way because if my life had gone the way that I wanted it to or always pictured that it would, I don't know if I ever would have learned this or gotten to this place place of feeling okay with myself because I essentially would have gone from my parents' household to a household I was building with someone else. And I think I would have gotten really lost and caught up in all of that. I remember in my early twenties really filling my life with a lot of busyness. I mean, I was never home except for, to sleep and I had to like get myself to the point of exhaustion because I just didn't want to be alone. So I definitely have not always been this way, but I can't tell you exactly when it came into sharp focus. But I think that's something that I have earned and worked to over time. And it's a product
1: of my singleness. Yeah. I think being alone Having alone time is different than being okay with yourself by yourself. Yeah. Like that's, that takes a lot of work to get to a place where you're comfortable with who you are.
0: There can be a thin line there.
1: Yeah. There can be a very thin line.
0: And I, I wouldn't say that I'm always comfortable with who I am. I mean, that's, that'd be the biggest lie ever. You know, there are plenty of things about myself that I want to change, want to work on, don't like all of that. But at the end of the day, I don't think that I am scared of the thoughts that I have and the feelings that I have. And I think a lot of people do fill their lives with some sort of distraction to keep busy because looking at that stuff, feeling that stuff is really uncomfortable and scary sometimes. That's not a scary place for me, and to me that feels like a success. That I can be with myself and not be
1: scared of what's inside. You got me thinking about success and how I think on the surface level definition of success is we perceive people who are successful as being really busy and then trying to like distill that down to all the ways that we're distracting ourselves. Like, I feel like 2020 has been a magnifying glass. It's a good point. Yeah. Of all the ways that we've thought we were being successful and really we were just being busy. Anyway.
0: Yeah. It's kind of a existential question, isn't it? I mean, that's part of the reason we ask it, <clears throat> but yeah. Yeah. It's a layered issue
1: mm-hmm. with lots of cousins and brothers and sisters. No kidding. <laughs> And inbreeding. <laughs> so this next anchor question to me is the biggie. What three events or experiences or themes in your life have most shaped who you are?
0: Okay, so I don't remember how I answered this during the first interview, but that's okay. I don't think those three things need to stay the same from the first interview to this one. I know because of the conversation we had about continuing the heartbreak story that that's definitely a theme that we'll we'll touch on today because there have been a series of of heartbreaks in my adult life especially that I feel like have really shaped who I am. So we'll come back to that one. But the other two things I would say is I am in the process of saying goodbye to my childhood home. And that has had me thinking a lot about my childhood and my growing up years. And in a lot of ways, my childhood was very charmed. It was, it was really, really good. I'm very, very lucky for the childhood that I had. I don't identify, I understand, but I don't identify with people who have a lot of angst about their teenage years, you know? So many people that I know like really hated middle school or really hated <laughs> high school and everything was just awful and I look back on those days with so much fondness. And it wasn't that there weren't hard things that happened, you know? There there were friend things and whatever. Typical growing up drama. But I I really really loved those days. There was a lot of goodness in my life in, in the years where I was coming up. And so I, I think it would be, you know, silly for me to not count my childhood and my growing up years as part of what's shaped me. And it's probably part of the reason that I look at my adult life as so challenging because the first part really wasn't it was good and fun and happy and safe and so for me there is like a very distinct division you know a chapter not even a chapter but like a book that ended and closed and opened another book a new story began and it was way harder (laughs) than the growing up years. So that's a theme for sure. And then I also think, and we touched on this a little bit just a few minutes ago, but I think another theme that has really shaped me is my singleness, not wanting to be single, wanting to be in a relationship and building a family and a life with someone. I think not having that, not having had that come to fruition, especially like in the normal time frame that that would happen for people, has definitely shaped who I am, how I look at the world, definitely how I spend my time. And so my singleness is a huge influence on my life. And for a long time, I really didn't want it at all, I hated everything about it. I had a horrible relationship with being single and now it's a little bit gentler I don't hate everything and if that time comes for me where there's a partner and maybe a family to fold into because I don't picture myself having children or adopting children at this point so if there's a family for me to fold into there will definitely be things that I will have a hard time letting go of in my singleness now because we're so intertwined as it were.
1: What would be hard to get let go of?
0: Um. So one of my best girlfriends is also single and we talk really regularly about <laughs> how hard it would be to learn to sleep with someone. You know, I mean, I think sharing that, which is like a very basic thing, but I think, sharing a bed, sharing a bathroom. Ew. I don't Overrated. know. I mean, we talk all the time about where we're kind of, like, making fun of ourselves. Yeah, I, I want a relationship. I want to be with someone. But they should really have their own bathroom. And then over the years, it evolves to they need their own bathroom and their own bedroom. We definitely should not, you know, co-sleep. And then it evolves to maybe they should just have their own place. You know, So, <laughs> so it's this, you know, funny little Thing that we we sort of tease ourselves and tease each other about. So I think that would be something, you know, consulting somebody or looking at commingling finances is very. Uh, I'm very tentative about that. I mean, like I said, my singleness and how I spend my time, I allocate you know, more hours and energy toward my friendships than I think a lot of my married friends do because they can't. So, how would my friendships change if I had to juggle? You know, it's just all those kinds of things.
1: I think there married, would be a lot to miss. Married people kind of prune their friendships. Probably. Yeah. Cause they have to. Yeah. So, I heard you say that the three themes that are coming up for you today are heartbreak, childhood, and your singleness. Which one do you want to start with?
0: well our intention of doing this interview again was to sort of further the the conversation about heartbreak I actually had a conversation with a male friend of mine who who follows the podcast and we were chatting about my episode in that interview and he was teasing me a little bit about feeling like I didn't give up enough information you know he was like you, you need to say more. You know, people want to know more. You've got to give more
1: detail. And Thank you, male friend, because <laughs> I feel you. I've been saying that behind the scenes the whole time. I know, I know. And I was telling him, and I'm
0: telling you, that part of my struggle with these stories is that they're not just mine to tell. You know? Part of the story actually like has to do with other people and I don't <laughs> what are you laughing at because I so intimately understand that it I'm sorry, it makes me really oh, uncomfortable no <laughs> so it's difficult to think about like how do I talk about this in a way that's true to my experience but that doesn't betray someone else's privacy you know especially in like a public way there's it's totally different if we're one-on-one having dinner and talking about this stuff that's very different than when you're having a conversation that you know is eventually going to be consumed by people that maybe you never even laid eyes on before so I have that tension that I'm trying to navigate and deal with as I try and tell more of the story because you've been needling me about it. He needled me about it. (laughs) And uh, maybe there are other people who feel the same way, but just never said anything to my face. One thing I want to say is that there have been significant relationships and one in particular that I'm thinking of um, that's separate and apart from this heartbreak category because it it was a significant relationship, but there was no, he never hurt me. So I don't think of him as a heartbreak. I think of that situation more as a heartache. And I think that was an important foundational kind of influence because there is a little bit of like a, you know, soulmate feel or like a Romeo and Juliet kind of feel to our relationship. We were very young. And I think that, when you have that experience that's so like sweet and innocent and pure with someone, it's hard to never have it again. But it does sort of set your expectation that that's possible.
1: I think this heartache relationship that you're talking about almost sounds like it set a foundation for you. You know, it was an early love, an early relationship for you. Well, we were friends for a long time mm-hmm. and kind of had you know,
0: crushes, I think on each other while we were growing up that we were never, you know, acted upon because of family expectations about when you can start dating and things like that. So it was never anything that was acted on, but I think that energy was kind of always there when we were, when we were young. So we, we had been friends for a really long time before we ever went on our first date. How long did you guys date? It was pretty short. In fact, both of our families had rules that we could not date until we were 16, and when he turned 16 before I did, and when he asked me out, I came home and told my parents, and they let me go because of who he was, because they had known him for so long, they broke the the 16 rule. Wow! <laughs> wow! It was pretty major. That's huge. It was pretty especially major, especially for your pretty conservative yeah. parents. Yeah. Yeah. But they. With, with him, it was okay. So we dated a little bit, but there was a lot of expectations from his family around not getting involved with any one person and really like dating a lot, not, we we used to call it going out. Like when you were committed with with one person, their values really were like, you're not going to go out with just one person. You need to date a lot of people. And for me, that was, you know, kind of hard to, to stomach (laughs) (laughs) and to deal with. I mean, I was just, you know, jealous of the other dates and stuff that he would have. So we dated for a little while um, on and off, but he was dating other people at the same time. And then we actually had another, another round of exploring our, our relationship. I guess we must've been like 21 or 20. It was, in the middle of college for me. And our relationship was just not going to go any further than, than it did because we had religious differences. Like we were both really firmly rooted where we were spiritually. And there was no way for the relationship to progress or to continue unless one of us went the other's way. And neither of us was going to do that. Cause were of separate faiths. I mean, there's overlaps, right? But, like but different churches. Yeah, and we both felt really strongly rooted,
1: you know, where we were spiritually. Mm-hmm. Neither one of you was going to convert.
0: Yeah, we just we just couldn't, and so that ended up being kind of a a sad parting. Um, but the amazing thing about that relationship is that we have remained friends over the years. I don't I don't know if I said this before or not, but we've known each other since the seventh grade. And so the fact that we remain friends and I'm acquainted with his family and, you know, his wife and his children and good that we are able to have a friendship like we do. So that relationship is unique because we had such a special connection. There was so much innocence and purity around the affection that we had for each other. And he did not wound me. There was a sad end to that part of our relationship. But... He didn't inflict some gigantic pain or betray me in any way. And we managed to maintain the most important part of our relationship, the friendship, for all the years that have followed. That's
1: such a sweet kind of love. Yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah. wonderful. I'm so lucky that I have that. Yeah. That's the kind of relationship I think you can reflect on, you know, in those odd moments. Because there wasn't betrayal or harm, neither one of you harmed one another, I think. I don't think I
0: harmed him. I don't know what he would say. Mm. I can't speak for him. But on my side, yeah.
1: It sounds so sweet.
0: Yeah, I think there was a real sweetness
1: to it. Yeah. Okay, so that's the heartache.
0: Yeah, and just sort of
1: illustrating the point... That there were
0: other relationships that were significant that maybe don't fall into this heartbreak category. As far as heartbreak is concerned, I think when we did our first interview, I identified four. My parents' separation and divorce, and then three romantic Mm -hmm. relationships. It's interesting because I feel like they build on each other. Like In my mind's eye, when I think about the most recent relationship that fell apart, I feel like... Everything that happened before that is part of what got me to the place with the third relationship. I took some risks and some gigantic leaps of faith in the third one that I don't think I probably would have taken if the prior two serious relationships that I thought were going to end in marriage didn't unfold the way that they did. The first one is a man that I met between my junior and senior year of high school. So we were together the end of my high school and through college into the year after college. I did not remember how on and off we were until I found some journals recently. I've been doing this big clean out at my house and I found some of my journals from college and was reading them and I was like I mean this guy was breaking up with me every few weeks really? yes and I just kept pining for him and we would get back together and it it was a very hot and cold relationship and I think if I had had more maturity and common sense I probably would have let that relationship go a lot sooner than I did but I didn't have the benefit of that maturity. And at least from my perspective, I mean, he may say something very different if you were sitting down with him, but from my perspective, it was so on again, off again, in a way that I did not even remember. But there it is in black and white in my journals. I and mean, it was like professing undying love. We're going to get married. I wish I had a ring right now, to three weeks later, not being sure what he wanted. Mm. And round and round and round we would go, and I stayed. I stayed, I continued and and loved this person. It's
1: crazy. You didn't know any better though. I mean, I can remember in college thinking we all thought we knew everything, right? That we Or that we knew um, enough at least. I think that's just the inexperience of youth. You don't have enough life experiences to understand that on again, off again is component. a symptom of a problem. Right? Like you don't you just don't have enough life experience because you and I are sitting here like, What?
0: What? Yeah, looking back at it now, yeah. it's like, oh my gosh. You would never Jen, tolerate that now. What were you doing? So anyway, our relationship had this very on again, off again quality to it. But at the same time, I was mostly committed to him. Um Mostly? Yeah. Because mean? in college is when That young love and I circled back. Okay. And it was in a period when this relationship was separated. So that's a time when I wasn't committed because I was obviously exploring this other thing. But most of the time, even when we were off, I was faithful and committed to that relationship. And probably so used to the coming back and starting over again that whether I consciously or subconsciously expected it that we would always loop back. Does that make sense? Yeah. So anyway, we had a very on again, off again quality over those years. When I finished college, one of the things that I did before I entered the workforce was go on a mission trip. So I was gone for the summer after graduation until I started my job that fall, like sometime in August And I love that you started that job. That's how we met. That is how we met. Yeah. Our our relationship goes all the way back to that. So while I was gone for that summer, we were corresponding. And in my mind, while things were like in a sort of tense place, it was at the do or die place because all of college, we had been talking about how we were going to get married after I graduated. So graduation had happened. I'm on this mission trip. And when I come home, I'm going to start my first job out of college. And really, it's just sort of engagement is imminent. Um, when I got home from my... That's what you
1: were expecting was yeah. to get engaged. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, w- it was imminent because that's kind of how we had been talking for years. So while I was away, we were in contact with each other. It wasn't like I was just gone and we weren't together. Although... You know, what I've wondered is if he was sitting here, do you remember that episode of friends where, um,
1: (laughs) Ross and Rachel are on a
0: break? Yes. Yes. And he's like, we were on a break. I wonder
1: if that is his perspective of that summer. Well, and I'm sitting here wondering what was he doing all those times that you guys were broken up? I have no idea. Yeah. Thanks um, for that earworm. I'm, I'm going to be hearing Ross screaming, we were, we on, were a, on a break. We were on a
0: And he might say that. From my perspective, I, I mean, I was all in. I was all in. I was on this mission trip. I was coming home. I was going to get to work. And really, any time now, we would be getting engaged and starting our life together. So I got home from my mission trip. I started that job that fall. And things were really off between us. From the time that I got home until the time that he ended our relationship in April. And so what was that, like six or seven months where things were just, you know, off and not gelling. And I really took that on myself and thought, this is culture shock. Coming back from my mission trip was very, very hard. Starting my first job, not an easy place to work, as you well know. And there was a lot of baptism by fire in terms of, so in case you guys are wondering, Jess and I met working at a residential treatment center in the Denver metro area for children with histories of abuse and neglect.
1: Significant histories. Holy jolly. They only came there because they were. There was nowhere else to go. Blowing out every place else. So it was a tricky job.
0: Anyway, so I really took it all on myself that it was me. You know that I was having a hard time adjusting to this job and there was a lot of stress with adulting and you know being shoved out of the nest because I had intended to come mm-hmm. home from my mission trip and live at home for a little while while I got my feet underneath me and that was not my parents plan they were not on board with that plan so there it was a stressful time for me and I just took that on myself but in the middle of the night that following April I got a phone call. From this guy. And he was very tearful and just ended our relationship without explanation. And I did not know what to make of that. I mean, I was bewildered and sad. And it was difficult. But but
1: not surprised, probably. Given the pattern, probably. The pattern of breaking up and being off and on so much. Were you surprised? I don't remember. Okay. I
0: mean, <sighs> I guess... There had to have been a level of surprise because like I said, for me, our engagement was imminent. So there had to be a measure of that, but I don't know. Honestly, I I don't remember whether there was surprise. I was devastated, but I had no idea the devastation that was to come because what I felt that night in April was nothing compared to what happened the following year. Hey, everybody, it's Jen, and I'm popping into my own story to push the pause button. This is where we have to stop for today. But I hope you'll join us for the next two episodes in this series, where we'll pick up next time learning what was it that the coming year was going to bring with it that would have been so much more difficult than this loss that I was already facing. We'll see you next time. I want to thank you for listening in today. When our guests agree to be vulnerable with us and to share from the well of their life experience, one of the best ways that we can acknowledge that kind of courage is to communicate that what has been shared has fallen on ready ears and a heart that is open. So if there was something that struck a chord today... Please interact with the posts on social media that are related to this episode so that you can let that storyteller know about the impact that he or she had on you. If you haven't connected with us already on one of these platforms, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under the handle all I know podcast. Please remember that the ideas, opinions, and views shared today belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find fuel for working with in their own lives from every episode, it should be noted that this podcast is not a therapeutic intervention and it's not a substitute for advice or counsel from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, which is a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado, and our team works primarily with children and their families that have been impacted by developmental or early childhood trauma, and we specialize in adoption and foster care issues. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you're interested in developing a relationship as a sponsor for this project, or if you're interested in being a guest and one of our storytellers on All I Know, you can reach us at alliknow at inwardboundco.com. I'm going to give that to you one more time. All I Know at I N W A R D boundc And you'll never miss an episode if you visit the website so that you can subscribe or follow the show through your preferred streaming platform. And the way to find us on the web is to go to allinknow.podient.co. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can.